man, I'm just trying to decide, should we even preach or should we just go home? I mean, that's, it ain't, ain't going to get better than that. I mean, that's, ugh, wow. Um, wow, thank you for coming to church today and being here and being part of this as we're speaking the name of Jesus over everything that we face, everything good, everything bad, everything heavy, and everything light, and everything beautiful, and everything hard. We speak the name of Jesus. Hmm. I'm serious. I'm just really wondering, should we even keep going? Yeah, that's for that. You know, I worked really hard on this sermon, so might as well just. Um, a quick announcement before we do. A lot of you guys know we've been talking about a new building and all that, and so I am bound to keep you informed on what's going on. And so just a quick update for you. Um, so in December, we kind of started really talking about, you know, we're, you can see it's kind of crowded in here, and this trajectory that we're on is looking a little scary for this time next year. And then also we don't know what the highway is going to do, if they're going to come in and, like, take over part of our property or something like that. So we just kind of started thinking maybe it's time for us to start thinking about easing into a new property. And so uh, we sent out a survey because we wanted to hear from God through his spirit and through his word and through his people. And so you guys kind of let us know how you feel and what you're hearing from God. Seems pretty clear that we need to do something. And so just want to let you know how we're handling this, the leadership of the church. So one thing is that we have written a letter of intent on a property, which is down the street between kind of um, about a mile north of Walmart on the other side, the center side of the highway. And so we're going to kind of see what happens with that. <coughs> and we listen, we don't know. So it's a letter of intent. So all we've said is, look, we might, we might want this property. And so here's kind of how much money we're thinking about. And so now it's just kind of in their court. It's not an official offer or anything like that. It's really just open a conversation with them. And so we're kind of waiting to hear back from them on that. Also, a really important update, a lot of you know, one of the main reasons that this property is becoming obsolete for us is not just the seating problem or the kid space problem or the parking problem. It's the septic problem. Our septic system is overwhelmed. That's a horrible thing to say, but that <laughs> I'm going to say it better than that. I'm going to say it better than that. So our septic system isn't up to the job. That's, <laughs> is that worse? It stinks. It stinks. So uh, here, <laughs> here's, here, so here's what we're doing about that. And so we can't, we don't, we don't own enough property to get rid of all the water that we have through our septic system. And so we, we can't legally disperse of all the water. And so we thought, well, we could stop the coffee and donuts. But like that got shouted down in a heartbeat and a bunch of people left the church and a big split. It was awful. So then, okay, well, that is not the answer. So anyway, I'm actually in contact with Canyon Lake Water Supply about possibly plumbing our septic stuff into this neighborhood behind us. They have like their own little water treatment plant back there. And so I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but we're working on it. So just so you know, our goal is, yeah, long term, we're probably going to have to do something big and different. Meanwhile, we are going to ring this place out, and we're going to get all the value that we can out of this property, and we're going to do everything we can. We're going to be, we're going to be faithful with small things, and then we're going to see if God doesn't bless us with bigger things. So that's your update on the building. Um, let's pray, and we'll get into God's Word. Uh, Father, thank you for the name of Jesus. And today we do speak his name over depression and anxiety and illness. Lord, over job losses and fear and frustration. Lord, we speak the name of Jesus over the good things in our life because we know that every good thing comes from you. And so today, Lord, what a blessing it is for us to come together in your name. And now we're fixing to open up your word and we want to hear from you. And so, Lord, just please, as always, help me stay out of the way and help us to clear out the other stuff. We just want to see what your word has to say to us about our lives today. So show us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in this series about mental health, and we're calling it peace of mind. And we've talked about several different aspects of mental health. And one thing that's occurred to me is we're not going to cover them all because this would last forever. And so I think it's really important that we recognize that there are certain principles that can help with any mental health concerns. And we've talked about these principles pretty much every week. So just kind of a little review for you today of three really important principles. If you're struggling with your mental health or mental illness or you're loving somebody that does struggle, then these are three really, I think, important principles. Number one, God is our healer, right? And so there's lots of, we, I've, I've talked about this resource list till I'm blue in the face. We've been through hundreds and hundreds of these things. I'm happy that you have them. These are amazing resources. God is our healer. He heals in lots of ways. He heals supernaturally. He heals naturally. He heals medically. And so you might find his healing in his word. And you might find his healing in prayer. And you might find his healing through a doctor or medicine or therapy. And you might find his healing by changing your diet or your exercise or your sleep patterns. God is our healer. He heals in lots of different ways. And sometimes the second principle Sometimes God allows us to participate in our own healing. And so to that end, we want to make sure that we're taking steps towards healing. We don't just sit on the couch and wait for healing to come. We know God is the source of the healing, but we pursue that healing. We take steps towards our healing. And the third principle is that whatever your mental health is, God loves you as you are. And he loves you where you are. And he is with you in it. And someday, he's going to completely heal us and he's gonna make everything new. So this is weeks and weeks of talk, but man, if you could get these three principles, I just think it would just be amazing for our mental health, and that is God is our healer. He heals in lots of ways. That God often asks us and calls us to participate in our own healing, so we should pursue that, and that whatever you're going through with your mental health, God is with you, and he's for you, and he loves you, and he likes you like you are. He likes you the way you are right now. Someday, he's going to make us even better. So today we're going to talk about a specific thing, and that is burnout. Um, people typically experience burnout um, in their jobs. I think it comes from stress, and it comes from pressure. And I don't know, you could, you could have a great job. Maybe you, maybe you like your job. Maybe you're good at your job. Maybe you like the people you work with. <laughs> And maybe you even feel kind of fulfilled and you, you like your job. But as the stress piles up and as the pressure builds up and as the exhaustion kicks in and fatigue takes over, pretty soon you start becoming frustrated and you start becoming dissatisfied. And maybe you feel like bored with your job or maybe you feel like you're easily agitated. Everything makes you mad. Maybe you feel like you're just ready to give up. That's burnout. Um, a recent poll from Gallup uh, said that 76% of people, 76% admitted that they feel burned out with their jobs. And here's what I think is interesting in that. That number was up 40% compared to pre-COVID numbers. So think that's interesting to me. So whatever that is, 30 or 40% of people said they were burned out pre-COVID. Now after COVID, what did I say? 76% of people feel like they're burned out with their jobs. And it's, to me, it's interesting because I don't think our jobs got harder because of COVID. I don't think our jobs really got more frustrating because of COVID. The truth of it is some of our jobs got better 
because we learn to work remotely. I, I think what has changed is not that our jobs have become more stressful. I think our lives have become more stressful. I think our stress levels in general are just higher now. There's a lot to be stressed out about now between political stuff and economic worries and yeah, job pressures and family pressures and you know, kid activity pressures and relational pressures. We're, we have a lot of pressure. We have a lot of stress and we have the ongoing ever-present stress and pressure of making sure that on social media it looks like we're handling it okay. So we're under all of this stress and I think all of this stress from all of these different areas just kind of like bleed over, right? They just kind of bleed together so that our overall, like our cumulative stress levels are just off the charts. And my concern, honestly, is that since the pressure and stress seem to be building up and bleeding together in every aspect of life, I'm wondering, are people also experiencing burnout, not just in their jobs, but in their relationships, in their marriage, in their families, um, with their ministries? Are people experiencing burnout in following Jesus? Because getting, I mean, getting burned out, getting frustrated with your job, bored at your job, angry at your job, even quitting your job. I mean, that's, that's, that's one thing, but how do we keep from getting burned out in our work as parents and as spouses and as friends? How do we keep from getting burned out as Jesus followers? And if we're already experiencing some level of burnout, like, how do we get back some of the, of the peace and some of the excitement and some of the joy and some of the passion that we used to have for our jobs and for our spouses and for our families and for Jesus. So I guess the bad news is that stress and pressure seem to be at an all-time high. Um, the good news is um, God isn't surprised by that. And he knew we were gonna run into this and he actually designed us with a built-in fix. And it not only fixes us when we're burned out, if we do it right, if we do it intentionally, and if we do it proactively, this fix will help us avoid burning out in the first place. And it's, it's perfect for avoiding burnout in ministry or avoiding burnout in following Jesus. But it, it can also actually help alleviate some of the other stress and pressures that we feel on our jobs and with our relationships and marriages, with our families. And the fix is called Sabbath. Sabbath is the antidote to burnout. Um, it keeps us excited, it keeps us fulfilled, it keeps us effective in following Jesus and in ministry and as parents and as spouses and as caregivers and as friends and even in our jobs. And Sabbath is just a time of, of rest and refreshment and restoration and recharge is like, like a reboot for all of us, for our physical self and for our mental self and for our spiritual self. And there's an amazing picture of what Sabbath looks like in one of the most famous passages in the Bible, in the 23rd Psalm. And so if you know this little poem, it's like a little metaphor where we are the sheep in this thing and Jesus is our shepherd and he's leading us to this place of rest and refreshment. You've probably heard this before. Verse one says, the Lord is my shepherd, 
I have all that I need. There's, there's peace in that, huh? There's rest in that. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in green meadows, and he leads me beside peaceful streams. So he's, he's leading us to this place of food and water and peace and rest, and by taking us there, verse 3 says, he renews my strength, and he guides me along right paths. And I'm just thinking it would be awesome to go to a place like that physically, a place with a green meadow. It's like a poem, right? Well, it is a poem. It's like a, like a babbling brook going beside us and everything is peaceful and everything is safe and it's not too hot and there's no humidity, whatever that means. And you could like have some great food and take a nice nap and it's like this perfect picnic with the person who loves you the most except you don't have to bring anything. And there's no bugs, right? You could just, you could just rest. And you could just recharge. Doesn't that sound good? And that's just physically. But what would it look like if, if it wasn't just a picnic physically? What if it was also a picnic mentally? And what if it was also a picnic spiritually? That would be Sabbath. Sabbath is this picnic place where God brings us physically and mentally and spiritually where we can feel safe and where we can rest and be refreshed and recharged and strengthened. And from there, he can lead us and he can guide us to where we should be. And we all need it. I mean, we need it. It's wired in. That's the way we're designed. We need it. It's, it, it's, it was part of the original design. And the fact is, in the Old Testament, for God's people, it was the law. And if you don't think so, check this verse out. This is Exodus 31, 15. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Here's the part I like. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. <laughs> wow. Uh, I, that, I don't know. It seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? But I think that's how important it is to God. And I think that his intent was that it would help us to, if we would just unplug, you know, if we would just take this time of rest, if we would just do this picnic with him, that we would experience something amazing. And that something is Shabbat Shalom. It's the peace of the Sabbath. And this, this rest is not just the absence of work. And this peace is not just the absence of war. Shabbat Shalom is this calm, rest, this feeling of contentment, this belief that everything is okay. It's just a time where we can just be still and know that he's God and that he's in control. So just for a minute, you don't have to be. It was the law, and we're not under that law anymore. So, you know, now we're not going to go to hell if we don't keep Sabbath or something. Like We're not going to go to jail or put to death. But Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, right? He came to fulfill the law. He came to perfect the law. And in fact, in Mark 2, 27, Jesus said that he is Lord of the Sabbath. So he's not taking away the Sabbath. He's not deleting the Sabbath because it's good. He's taking away maybe the legality of it, that you don't have to be put to death. But he's not taking away the Sabbath because the Sabbath is, Sabbath is good, and we need it. In fact, Jesus said, remember that verse where Jesus said, uh, the Sabbath is for man, not man is made for Sabbath? And what that really means is the Sabbath was created for us 
Sabbath was designed to meet the needs of the people. And God created you. God wired you to need Sabbath, to need rest, so that you can experience this thing that he wants for you, so that you can experience Shabbat Shalom. And in the law, I think God's plan was that if we experience that every seven days, if we could just have that experience, that would keep us fresh and that would keep us content and that would keep us excited and that would keep us effective and that would keep us energized and it would keep us from burning out. And I think some people get that naturally. Some people are good, natural, like resters or something. They're, they know inherently that it's good and that it's important. And, and, and I think other people have a hard time, honestly, like finding time and seeing the value of Sabbath, or even knowing what to do about it. And those people, you know who you are, that can never take a break, right? The people that can never take a day off, the people that can never stop worrying, the people that check their email in their sleep, the people that never stop going, 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 those people that are too busy to rest are the people that are most at risk of burnout. And well, just like people, if you don't eat right and sleep right and exercise right, then realistically, you're a really good candidate for physical illness, right? And I think if you don't take Sabbath, then you are a great candidate for burnout and for mental illness. And so sometimes, if we don't allow for a Sabbath quiet down, then instead we have a full breakdown. And that's burnout. And I'm not sure, but I think that might be what happened to Elijah. I was reading about him this week, and I don't, I mean, I don't know, I could be wrong. I never met Elijah, but he seems like to me that he was burned out. And once he experienced the Sabbath, which in his case was kind of a forced Sabbath, but after that, he was great. And so I'm just going to kind of run you through his story. Um, take a minute. This is in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. You'll never keep up, but trust me. Uh, actually, verse 16 is where it starts, and this is where Ahab becomes the king of Israel, and he's the worst. Literally, it says he was the worst king ever. In fact, look at this part. It says, he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings before him. So Ahab is a horrible, horrible, horrible king, and he married a horrible woman named Jezebel. And through Jezebel, they brought in the worship of Baal and Asherah and all these other gods, and people started, like, giving up on God. And so God's been telling him. He's been warning him. Now he sends Elijah. And Elijah goes to him. This is in the beginning of chapter 17. And he says, look, Ahab, you had your chance. Here's what's going to happen. Um, there's not going to be any rain for a couple of years. God's going to get your attention kind of one way or another right now. So it's not going to rain anymore until I say so. And so then God very wisely tells Elijah, you need to go hide now because Ahab's this horrible, evil, powerful man. He's going to kill you or whatever. So you gave him the news. Now you need to scoot. So he goes and he hides out by this place, the Kareth Brook. And there he had water in the brook. And God sent ravens with food for Elijah. Can you imagine camping? And every day it's like, hey, what are we having today? Here come the ravens. And they bring your breakfast, right? They bring your lunch. They bring your dinner. This is, this is amazing. This is an incredible miracle. He's, he's beside this brook. He's got this water. He's got his food delivered for him every single day. It's an amazing miracle. He sees the power of God and the provision of God and the protection of God. He has this incredible experience. But then, because they're in a drought, guess what happened? Brook dried up, 
right? And so God tells them, here's what you're going to do. Go live in Zarephath. And this is this nearby area, and there's going to be a widow there that's going to feed you. She'll take care of your needs. And so he goes, and he meets this widow, and he goes, hey, God told me to tell you you're supposed to make me some tortillas or something. And, so, and the woman's like, I can't. I don't have any food. We're broke. We're so poor. We don't have flour. We don't have oil. In fact, I'm fixing to go home, make one last batch, right? One last loaf. One last, um, probably more like tortillas. But I'm going to go make one last piece of bread, and me and my son are going to eat it, and then we're going to starve to death. And Elijah says, no, no. Instead, you make it from me. And you show that faith, and God's going to take care of you from now on. And you will never run out of oil. You will never run out of flour. There will always be food in your house. So she does, and God does. And now, all of a sudden, she's got food in her house every single day. No provision except God's. And so, again, Elijah sees this incredible provision and protection and power and this amazing miracle from God. Okay, next story. Now the woman's son gets sick. Now he dies. And so Elijah says, oh, your son's dead. No big deal. He goes in and prays for him. Kid comes back to life. Again, Elijah sees the amazing miracle-working power of God, how God provides for us, how God protects us. He's just seeing this amazing stuff about who God is. So now chapter 18. Now it's been a couple of years into this drought, and God says to Ahab, you need, to Elijah, go talk to Ahab and tell him it's getting ready to rain again. Well, remember, he had to run for his life from Ahab. Ahab hates him because he said it wasn't going to rain. How do you think he feels about him now that it didn't? Right? He really hates him now. And so, I mean... If it was me, I'm a little scared of going to see Ahab, not Elijah. He has seen God's power. He has seen God's provision. He has seen these amazing miracles of God, and he has absolutely, like, got this holy cockiness, right? He's got this, I don't know, this, he's very bold. And so, in fact, he goes to meet Elijah. This is a good, he goes to meet, this is the king. This is the king. This guy's in charge of the armies, the police, everything, right? And so he goes to meet him, and when Ahab sees him, he says, well, if it isn't the troublemaker of Israel. What? If I'm Elijah, it's like, I'm out, man. I'm going back to the Kareth Brook, right? Where's that raven when you need him? But instead, he's just, he's, he's seeing God's power, right? He's seen God do these miracles. He's seen God provide and do these amazing things. He's not scared of this king. And so look what he says to him. I haven't made trouble for you, for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. <laughs> Elijah's God, man, he's not scared of nothing, man. You refuse to obey the, the laws of the Lord, and you've worshiped these images instead. So here's what we're going to do, he says. I want you to gather up everybody, the whole country, man. We're going out to Mount Carmel, and we're going to get this thing settled right now. And so he goes out, and they get 450 prophets of these two gods. So they got like 900 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And he says, so here's what we're going to do. We're just going gonna to figure out who God really is right now. So you guys build an altar for your fake gods, and we'll cut up a bull and put them on there. We'll give you some good wood, and then you pray or whatever you do for your God to light that thing on fire. And if he does, fine. Maybe Baal's God after all. But if he doesn't, then I'm going to show you what my God can do. And so they pray. They cut up the bull. They put the wood on there. Oh, Baal, answer us. Send us, you know, fire and all that stuff. Where am I at here? Uh, he lets him go first. I like that. But there was no reply. They said no, no answer of any kind from Baal. So they danced and they hobbled around on the altar that they made. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Around noontime, Elijah began mocking them. <laughs> He's talking trash. There's 900 of them. There's 900. There's one of him. He's talking trash to them. Hey, maybe you should shout louder, he said, because I know Baal's God, right? Maybe he's daydreaming. Here's the best part. Maybe he's relieving himself. I don't know. It's like, maybe he's relieving himself. I don't make this stuff up. That's what it says. 
Maybe he's relieving himself. Or maybe he's on a trip or he's asleep or he needs to wake up. So then they're like, oh, we got to pray harder, dance bigger. They start cutting themselves. Blood is gushing everywhere. They're trying to do something, but there was no sound, no reply, no response. And so then Elijah says to everybody, all right, come over here. We're going to see who God really is. And so he builds an altar and he puts wood on it. He cuts up a bull, throws that bull on there. And then he has them douse the whole thing with water. So now there's no way. It's, I mean, it's, no fire is happening right now. And then he begins to pray, God, you're God. Show these people who you are. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down. All the people saw it. They fell down on the ground and they cried, the Lord is God. Then Elijah said, well, then grab all these prophets of Baal. And the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there himself. So what I want you to see is this man has experienced unbelievable miracles. This man has seen incredible stuff, the provision of God, the power of God, the protection of God. He's seen all these amazing things. Then Elijah said to Ahab, you better get something to eat and drink because I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. It hasn't rained for three years. And so then uh, he yells out to Ahab, hey, you better get in your chariot and go home. If you don't, the rain's going to stop you. And all of a sudden, here it comes, man. Black clouds, the sky's all full. This huge, amazing rainstorm comes. And then Ahab left to go back to Jezreel. And so again, Here's this miracle. Here's this provision of God. Here's the power of God. And you, his, his, his confidence in God is so high. And then here's a cool part. Then um, he, took, he tucked his cloak into his belt, this is Elijah, and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way back to the entrance of Jezreel, 30 miles, 30 miles. He ran ahead of horses. So again, this um, more miracles, more power, more provision, more protection, He's so full of confidence in God, right? It's like, what can my God not do? Then Ahab gets home and he tells Jezebel, his wife, what happened. And Jezebel's horrible. And Jezebel says, he, she sends a message to Elijah, may the God strike me down and kill me by this time tomorrow if I haven't killed you by then. So, I mean, that's a pretty ugly thing to say, right? But <laughs> listen, this is what's interesting to me. Who cares what those gods say, right? We just proved that those gods don't even really exist. He's got nothing to be afraid of. Her husband's the commander of everything. He couldn't hurt him. He couldn't stop him. Starvation couldn't hurt him. Poverty couldn't hurt him. Death couldn't hurt him. He's not scared of nothing. So I'm thinking he's going to start talking trash to her like he did everybody else, but he doesn't. Instead, this is verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. And he went to Beersheba, this town in Judah, and he left his servant there, and then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, and he sat down under a tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, I've had enough. Lord, just take my life. So to me, that's burnout, right? He's just so frustrated, and he's so scared, and he's just ready to just give up. And he laid down, and he slept under this broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. And he looked around and beside his head, there was some bread that had been baked for him and some water. So he ate and he drank and he laid down again. And then the angel came again and touched him and said, get up, eat some more because the journey ahead is going to be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and that food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And then he came to a cave where he spent the night and the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, man, I've been serving you forever, but the people of Israel have broken their commandment. They've broken your covenant. They've turned down your altars. They've killed all your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. He's, the dude's burned out. 
He's, he's frustrated. He's exhausted. He just, he's ready to give up. And so God says to him, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and a voice said, what are you doing here? And again, Elijah said, man, I've been trying, I've been serving God, but the people have broken their covenant, they've turned down your altars, they're trying to kill us all, and then now they're gonna kill me. And God said, go back the way you came, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram, and then appoint Jehu to be king of Israel, and then appoint Elijah to be your replacement. And anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and anyone who escapes from him will be killed by Elijah. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal. So Elisha, Elijah went and found Elisha, like God told him, and Elisha went, Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and walked away. And then Elisha becomes like his um, protege. And he starts mentoring him and training him and teaching him and working with him and prophesying and serving God together with him. And he does it for like another 10 years after that. And so if you're like a super Shabbat Shalomer already, you probably say, oh yeah, it's obvious here, but there are some of us that are not good at this. There are some of us that are really in danger of burnout and, and those people need a list. Those people need like action steps because some, some of us really don't know how to rest. And so today, Elijah's gonna teach us. We're gonna look at four steps really fast to Shabbat Shalom. Here's your first step, stop. First step. First and most basic rule of Sabbath is to stop working. Even working for God. Stop rushing. Stop striving. Stop pursuing. Stop worrying. Stop flailing. Stop running around. Stop. Stop. Sabbath is all about rest. And being at rest literally means being still. That's what it means to be at rest. And a really important element of Sabbath is shutting down your activities physically and mentally, stopping. And that is not easy for some of us. But what I learned when I look at his story is you're gonna rest, you're gonna shut down, either voluntarily through Sabbath or involuntarily when you burn out because Elijah laid down, but it wasn't because he was resting up, right? It was because he was burned out. He crashed and burned and was ready to die. And we've probably all known somebody that can't shut down, they can't stop, they can't rest, they, you know, go, 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 and eventually that person threw a breaker, right? They had a stroke, they had a heart attack, they had some kind of mental illness. So if you don't want God to stop you, if you don't want your body to stop you or your mind to stop you, you have to stop. You have to be intentional, you have to be proactive, you have to stop yourself, and you have to do the hard thing that it tells us to do in Psalm 46 and just say, you know, I am going to be still. And I'm gonna know that God is in control. 
and that he can probably run this world without me if I shut down for a day or an hour or 15 minutes of quiet time. And I know it's hard, and it's super hard for parents, and it's super hard for caregivers, it's super hard for a lot of us, but the first step to experience Shabbat Shalom is to stop. And then you use this time to refresh and refuel and recharge. That's the second step, is just to do that. And for Elijah, what, was this, that, well, what happened? That angel brought him food and brought him water, and he just got some sleep, and that recharged him, and that gave him strength for this long trip. Sabbath is a time to refresh and refuel and recharge, at least partially physically, right? But I don't think it's just food and water and rest. I mean, I'll ask you, like, what refreshes you physically? What refreshes you mentally? Is, is, it, is it music? Or is it, is it nature? Is it being with people? Is it being away from people? Like, what, what, what charges you up? Because that's what it is. Sabbath is like charging up your battery. And that's how I talk about this week. What a great analogy is your phone, right? Your phone is so awesome. It is amazing. Can you imagine explaining to your grandparents what your phone does? It does everything, right? It does, it's just so effective. It just does everything as long as the battery's charged. But if you don't charge the battery, eventually what, it starts shutting down apps, right? Eventually it gets a little less effective and a little less effective until pretty soon it's only emergency phone calls. And then pretty soon it's just a total shutdown. And it, that's burnout, right? No energy left, no passion left, no joy left, just dead. And wouldn't it be silly for somebody to say, my phone is so important, right? My phone is so busy that I can't take the time to charge it up. But that's what some people say about their mind and about their body and about their spirit. I'm just so busy, I don't have time to charge it up. That's what Sabbath is. But it's not just a physical recharge. In fact, I would say that recharging physically is really mostly a metaphor for what you really need, which is to plug in spiritually to your real source of power and your real source of purpose and your real source of peace. And this is where this is different for believers. This is where it's different for Jesus followers. We're not, everybody should rest, right? But we're not just resting up and hydrating and carb loading or something. This is a spiritual recharge. Sabbath is a spiritual recharge. In fact, step number three is you have to connect to God. If you want to experience Shabbat Shalom, you have to stop. You have to take a minute to refresh, refuel, recharge, and you have to connect to God. That's what Elijah did. Look, he, he went where God was, right? He went to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. It was 40 days to get there, 40 days. He went where God was, and when he got there, when he shut down, when he really refreshed, when he really refueled, when he really connected to God, he actually encountered God. And so again, I think you have to ask yourself, we're not probably going to Mount Sinai, right? So where do you go to connect to God? Elijah went to Mount Sinai. Jesus, we know, went, like, went off by himself in the country sometimes. Where, where do you go? Maybe it's, maybe it's going to church, or maybe it's a quiet time on your porch. 
or maybe it's a, a quiet time at your kitchen table. Maybe you go for a prayer walk. A lot of people say they really feel connected to God in nature. But you gotta, you gotta find your place, right? You gotta find your way and your time to connect to God. But however you do it, whenever you do it, wherever you do it, the promise of James 4.8 is if you come close to God, he'll come close to you. If you'll make the time to connect to him. He went 40 days to get to the mountain where God was. Right? We have him right here. He, he'll come close to you if you'll just come close to him. And, and this is where it's different for us. This is where Sabbath is different than just resting up. It's us recharging physically and mentally and spiritually by connecting to God. He's the source of our power. He's the source of our energy. He's the source of our passion. He's the source of our, of course we should want to plug into that. This is such an important thing. I, I was really thinking this week, like how, I, could I like sneak like a pill in people's donuts or something? How am I gonna get this to like really sink in? Do you guys know what subliminal messaging is? The thing like in the movies, they used to show like a, like a picture of popcorn and it would just like flash really quick and it would flash again. And like you didn't even know why, but you said, dang, I could go for some popcorn right now. Right, so I, that's subliminal messaging, right? So I thought about like creating like a subliminal message and I'll just start emailing it to you every 10 seconds. And if I did, just be watching, this is what it's gonna look like, okay? This is my, this is my image. Imagine you, but you're a cell phone. So here we are, that's, who is that? That's me, right? And then over here is this amazing source of power and love and passion and energy and excitement and joy, right? And that's, that's God. And then what's the connecting thing, right? What is the thing that we need to connect us? It's Sabbath. So look at that picture. You're going to be seeing it again. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it is. And so, yeah, of course I wanna do that. Of course I wanna connect to that thing, but what do I do, right? What does it look like? Okay, I made the time. What do I do when I get to the mountain, right? What do I do when I get to the coffee table? What do I do when I go for that walk? What do I do when I come to church? What, what, what does it look like? And I think maybe it starts, connecting with God maybe starts the same way you connect with other people that you love. Maybe just like, how about, just talk to him. Just talk to him. That's what Elijah did. Elijah just said, man, God, I'm exhausted. I'm alone. I'm scared. I'm done, right? And maybe that's what you'll say. Or maybe you'll say that you're thankful or that you're happy or that you're confused or that you need help. But whatever you're feeling, just connect and just talk to him and then listen to him. Just be quiet. I don't know who told us that this is supposed to be a one-way conversation, right? Maybe he, want, maybe he has something to say to you. And he may speak to you through a, a great wind, right, or a great earthquake, or a great fire. We all want to see that, especially you people from the 70s. You all want to see earth, wind, and fire, don't you? Deep down, <laughs> it's like still in there. You have that yearning, right? It's over. It's over. It's time to move on. Maybe he'll speak to you like that. Maybe it'll be something huge, but you know, probably not. Maybe it's why it's, that's why it's important that we be quiet so he can speak to us quietly and we can still hear him. That's what happened with Elijah. He just was quiet and he heard the whisper of God's voice. And when God whispered to him, he gave him perspective, right? He, he told him, look, you're not alone. I know you feel alone. You're not alone, right? There's 7,000 other people. You're not alone. I know it feels like you're alone, but you're not alone. And guess what else? You're not in charge. I'm in charge. All you gotta do is what I call you to do, 
right? And I'll even empower you to do that. Maybe when you talk to God and you're quiet before God, maybe when you listen to God, he'll give you some, just some perspective. Maybe he'll give you some direction, right? God, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Maybe just, just be quiet and maybe he'll tell you. He did for Elijah. He told Elijah, right, this is what you're gonna do. Go, this guy's gonna go anoint this guy to be king. Go anoint that guy to be king. Go hire Elisha. He's gonna be your protege or whatever. But whatever you hear God say, and, 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 and however he says it, now you've got perspective, right? Now you've got direction about where to go. And now you've been like recharged and you're ready to get back out there. This is the value of connecting to God for us. But what's amazing to me is I see the value for me. I see why I want to connect to him. He's the source of everything. Of course I want to connect to him. But what's amazing is that's what God wants too. Isn't that weird that God wants you just to connect with him? I mean, Sabbath was his idea. Right? It's for us. It was his idea. And I was just thinking about that. He, he could have made us bulletproof. right? He could have made us impervious to burnout. He could have made us so that we self-recharged. He could have made us, he could have created us that way, he could have designed us that way, he could have wired us that way, but he didn't. Instead, he created us to need Sabbath. How come? I mean, why would he do that? Wouldn't it be cool to find out that God actually programmed us to need Sabbath because he wants time with us? Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be funny if God's favorite part of your week wasn't all that amazing Christian performance. Wouldn't it be cool if God's favorite part of your week wasn't all the amazing, incredible stuff you did for him? What if his favorite time of the week was just you being with him and you connecting to him and just being present with him? What God wants from you is not your performance. It's your presence. I mean, this may be a shocker to some of us general managers of the universe, but God can do fine without you. He doesn't, he doesn't need your performance. He wants your presence. He just wants to be with you. And we had, so I have, I have a granddaughter, Ellie, uh, not Ellie, um, Ophelia. Ophelia's three, and Ophelia came the other night to spend the night with us and hang out with us. And I just loved being with her. It was so much fun being with her, and just, I laughed the whole time, and I just felt so joyful and excited. And we went fishing, and she caught a fish, and she's three years old. You can imagine how that went. It was awesome, right? It was just this great, amazing time with Ophelia. But you know what? I did all the work. <laughs> I paid for everything, right? Who do you think baited that hook? Who do you think took the fish off of that line? Who do you think bought that ice cream? Right? It was me. I did all the work, right? You know what, you know what she brought to the table? Nothing. Just her, just her, just her presence. That's all I wanted was her presence. That's all God wants from you. He doesn't need you to bait the hook, right? He doesn't need you to do better, work harder, strive more, be, you know, be better, do gooder. He doesn't need you to do that. He just wants to be with you. He wants to connect to you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to spend time with you. It's what he wants. And it's what you need to keep your passion and to keep your energy and to keep your effectiveness and to avoid burnout. That's Sabbath, man. And it starts when you stop, when you recharge physically and mentally and spiritually by connecting to God. He's your source. 
for perspective and for direction and for power. And man, once you do that, you're ready for step four. You're ready to dive back in, right? You're ready to go back out there to your job or your marriage or your family or your ministry or to following Jesus. And when you dive back in, you'll be recharged physically and mentally and spiritually, and you'll be armed with perspective and, and direction and with his power. Man, Sabbath is awesome. It's awesome for maintenance, right? You just do it and avoid burning out, but it's also a great fix if you're already burned out. If you're already thinking, man, I'm just tired of my job. I'm just tired of my husband. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm tired of trying. I just wanna lay down and give up. I'm just burned out. That's what Elijah thought too. He thought he was done. He thought he had nothing left to give. He was completely burned out. But from the time he had this kind of forced Sabbath until the time he went to be with God, I think it was like eight or 10 years after that. So for the, during that whole time, he, he continued to do his job and he still heard from God and he still spoke for God and he mentored Elisha and he was more effective than ever because now there were two of him, right? Now he was like duplicating the ever because he was training up Elisha. So. I think like one of the cool things about this, people think of Sabbath as like slowing down and taking it easy, and it's not that at all. It's not about slowing down. It's about stopping completely. And it's not about taking it easy. The purpose of it is so that you can go out hard for the next six days without stopping, without taking a breath, without needing more energy, and knowing that you're gonna be even more effective. So. Yeah, if you feel burned out, if you feel frustrated or mad or disinterested or bored, if you feel like giving up on your job or your marriage or your family or your ministry or your faith, maybe what you need is what I think Elijah needed. Maybe you need a time of Sabbath, whether that's once a week on Sunday or whether that's every morning before I start my day, or whether that's every evening before I go to bed, maybe you just need a time to stop and just refresh and refuel and recharge and connect to God and get his peace and get his perspective, get his power, get his direction. I, I can almost promise you if, you, if you try it, if you can make it a habit pretty soon, you'll be ready to get back out there with more passion and more purpose and more energy than ever before and you'll be more effective and you'll be a whole lot happier once you've experienced Sabbath. It's, it's the antidote to burnout. Let's pray. Father, I thank you because you have created us to be part of your plan since before we were born, before time, you had a plan for each one of us to do important things in this world and for your kingdom. You've, you've created us to do amazing stuff. And for some of us, sometimes it gets a little overwhelming because we see all the stuff that has to be done and it seems like we just can't get there and we get tired and we get frustrated, the stress and the pressure, and pretty soon we're burned out. And we, man, we do not want to burn out on our jobs, but we sure don't want to burn out on our marriages or our families. And we definitely don't want to burn out following you. So God, thank you for giving us this, this little picture with Elijah of what we need to do. We just need Sabbath. You created us for Sabbath, and you created Sabbath for us. 
to replenish us and recharge us and refuel us and keep us moving forward and make us more effective and give us more joy and more peace. And so, Lord, I know there are people here that are already feeling burned out, and I just pray for those, Lord, that you would just show them the value of stopping and just refueling and recharging. Show us the incredible value of connecting to you and talking to you and getting your perspective and your direction and your power. And God, I just pray that once we've done that, man, you will show us how to do it all the time. This will become like a habit for us. Every Sunday at church or every morning on the porch or every day on our walk that we will just take a minute, that we'll just take some time, that we'll just take a breath to enjoy Sabbath, to enjoy your presence. Thank you because you've called us to do these incredible things, but thank you because what you want even more than our production or our performance is our presence and we want yours. So show us how to do it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Enjoy the rest of your Sabbath.